Thank you, and thank you for being here on this beautiful, sunny, cloudy uh, July morning. It's uh, great to see you here. I was so delighted when I actually signed up just because it was a date that I could do it, and I found that it was my favorite passage, like, you know, uh, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I was just happy I had basically a sermon already in my head, and uh, so I was going for it, but as I was reading and preparing, it feel, felt like I was being taken in a different direction that I didn't, you know, it was a bit uncomfortable. Because once you, this beautiful passage comes at the end of this kind of strange thing on top of it, and you're thinking, okay, what do I do with that? But actually, I'm so grateful for our community. And as Dan preached two weeks ago on a very difficult passage in which Jesus is basically sending his disciples out and preparing them, it's going to get rough out there. Prepare for opposition. And then last week, Kathy had this incredible courage at All Family Sunday to speak about this difficult passage also that Jesus is teaching his disciples, saying, I'm not bringing peace, I'm bringing a sword. And at first, when I heard Dan, I thought, oh, yeah, it sounds like I need to go in that direction. And then when I heard Kathy, I thought, I think I have to go in this direction. So if you have problems with what I have to say today, speak to the Holy Spirit, because this is the way it works here. <laughs> anyway. So today, my, my sermon title, uh, Listen, Really Listen, comes from earlier in Matthew, actually, when Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and uh, he says, if you have ears to hear, hear. And the way it's translated in the message uh, by Eugene Peterson is, are you listening? Really listening? So today, I hope that you'll be able to hear a little bit of what I think I have heard or overheard and I think that this is in response to the question, who is Jesus and what does that mean to me? And I think that it's directed, this question that we're going to hear today is kind of directed to the crowds who are in different towns of Galilee, who are Jesus' uh, followers. And, but indirectly, it's very much uh, directed, is there something with the sound, is this okay? And it's directed also to his, his disciples, his group of inner, inner core, who are kind of overhearing this as well. So today I want us to be overhearing part of it, not only as Jesus would be disciples, but also as 21st century listeners, 21st century Christians, and then finally to really hear an invitation that says, to Jesus says directly to us. So as we go there, will you pray with me? Lord God, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, we come under your authority and your teaching this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. I'm, I, just tell me that the sound is okay because I feel like I'm talking, too, it's too loud. It's echoey. Yeah, it feels echoey or something. Okay, I don't know what we can do about that, but as long as it's not disturbing you, I'll, I'll just, it's okay? Good, thank you, okay. So our lectionary readings this year have been in the book of Matthew, and um, Ian kind of started us off, if you'll remember, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and he, one of the things he said is that Matthew is kind of a um, manual for disciples. 
and it's kind of a it's it's really destined to those disciples and i'm actually going to use a slightly different word for disciples for now on today because i think that disciples feels kind of churchy it's not like a word that we use all the time except for in church well that's not entirely true actually but the word i'm going to use for this is actually the word apprentices okay so jesus is has called to himself as a rabbi he has called to himself some apprentices to learn from him not just to learn his teachings but actually to learn from him to walk with him and to work with him and so he has just finished speaking to some of his apprentices and now he is talking to the crowds but his apprentices are still listening because they heard some pretty hard things and they are still asking themselves some questions <clears throat> matthew up to this point has actually set the stage is setting the stage for the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the revealed Messiah, the Christ who is to come. In, five, in chapters five to seven on the Sermon on the Mount, we're introduced to him as a brilliant rabbi. He just has, says just amazing things and, and acts in such mercy and love. And then in chapters eight and nine, he reveals himself as a miracle worker. He heals people, he raises the dead, he commands storms to be quiet. He casts out demons. And so he, his apprentices, his would-be apprentices, must be in awe of him at this stage. And then in the beginning of chapter 10, he actually chooses some select um, apprentices, and he sends them out and extends to him, to them, the authority that he has. And they go out and they preach the gospel. They preach the good news of the kingdom, and they heal people. And he even tells them to raise the dead. We don't have any evidence that they did, but they certainly healed people and they went out and cast out demons. And then he comes back and he gives them this difficult teaching that we heard last week, where he says, it's going to get rough. The apprentice is not greater than his rabbi. And if they hate me, they'll hate you. If they say that I'm doing this by the power of the demon, they're going to say that about you. So prepare yourself. It could be rough out there. And in fact, everything is going to be tested. Your family loyalties are going to be tested. Everything is going to be tested for you to, to really choose me as the Messiah. So things are getting kind of serious. And then we switch in chapters um, 11 and 12 to Jesus now addressing the crowds in the area of Galilee. But his, remember, his apprentices are overhearing. And so these crowds in chapters 10 and 11 they are would-be followers of Jesus. And I'm actually grateful to social media for changing our notion of followers because followers can be anything. They can be the merely curious to the diehard fans. And that's kind of who we see in this crowd. And everybody's asking the same question, who is Jesus? And also, this isn't quite what I was expecting. So in Matthew uh, 11, we have uh, a story of, I, I wanna, I, one thing I do have to say is that as I was, I said before that I was a bit perplexed about where this beautiful text of ours fits in the, in the gospel. But in fact, we have to kind of read these with Eastern eyes and not Western logic. Because often the way that the Eastern uh, setup happens is that it'll give you kind of like one parallel reading and then another parallel reading. And you kind of read them together like we do the Psalms a bit. And then often right in the middle, is where the core of the matter is. And so our verses today are the heart of the matter, but you cannot ignore the two wings. So I'm just gonna spend a little bit of time this morning talking about the two wings, and then we're gonna to get to the heart of the matter. 
So in Matthew, we hear actually a, a, a question being asked from John the Baptist, and Jesus answers him. I'm going to read that soon. And then in chapter 12, we have this questioning put out by the, by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who are questioning Jesus' authority, essentially. And then right in the middle, we have the heart of the matter. And we, um, today, I want to sort of talk about two types of, of questioners who are asking the question, who is Jesus, in chapters 11 and 12. And we have a foreshadowing of chapter 12 in chapter 11, so I'm going to read that to you, okay? Oh, I forgot to put my timer on, sorry, Felix. We've lost time. It says one hour and seven minutes, so that's when I, I better change that. Okay, so I'm reading a, a kind of shortened version of Matthew 11, and I'll have some commentary. And I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible. So after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 apprentices, he went on from there to teach and preach in towns nearby. Now John the Baptist, who had been put into prison, heard what the Messiah was doing, so he sent a message to him through his apprentices saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? And then, you know, some people are disturbed that, that John the Baptist, who announced that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, is asking, are you the one or should we expect someone else? But in fact, what he's saying is, you're not what I expected. In Matthew 3, Jesus, um, John the Baptist had announced the coming of Jesus. And he said, the one who comes, you know, I'm a, he was a fire and brimstone preacher. He was like a piece of work. And, and then he's saying to people, you think I'm bad? The one coming after me is going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And the winnowing fork is in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff. And the wheat he will carry with him and the chaff he will burn. And so Jesus wasn't quite what he expected. He expected that Jesus was going to be cleaning house. And he's out healing sick and saying all these sweet things and, and you know, eating and drinking with people. It's like, so John now is in prison. He's been imprisoned for his faith. And it looks to him like evil is winning. It's not the way he expected things to be. And Jesus is off in Galilee, for goodness sake. He's not even in Jerusalem where the powers are. He's off in Galilee talking to these like country folks. Who cares what the country folks think when this nasty stuff is happening in Jerusalem? And he doesn't seem to be cleaning house. So he asks this question, and I want you to hear the tone of desperation in him. Are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? I could lose my life at any minute now. And has my life been for nothing? And Jesus answers him and he says to his disciples, go tell John what you are hearing and seeing. And he responds to John, quoting the words that we read today in our scriptures from Isaiah. And I think that Isaiah is Jesus and John's love language. So he responds to him in his love language. He quotes, and he says, the blind are seeing again, lame are walking, people with leprosy are being cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised, and the good news is being told to the poor. So he is quoting all these things. He says, yes, it's true that the winnowing fork is coming, but the day of the Lord is not just the day of vengeance. The day of the Lord is also the day where we preach release to the prisoners and we bring sight to the blind. And he says to him, how blessed is anyone who is not offended with at me. 
And I think he's blessing John. I've, some commentators are offended that John would even ask this question, but I think Jesus is blessing John. He's blessing John because he actually knows that John is not going to be offended. He knows that this is exactly what John needed to hear. He uses scripture that they both love and recognize, and he gently opens John's heart with the words that only John could really understand to perceive a broader picture of who the Messiah is. How blessed is anyone not offended to me? As John's apprentices are leaving to convey Jesus' response to John, he begins speaking to the, to, about John to the crowds who are listening. And he affirms that John is a great prophet. In fact, the greatest prophet. He affirms that he was probably the Elijah, the expected Elijah who was to open the way for the Messiah. And he says, if you have ears to hear, hear. Are you listening, really listening? And then Jesus pivots from there to those who take offense. He starts with, he, he addresses first the way that the religious people first took offense to John because he was an ascetic, he was fasting and like just living in the, out in the desert. I mean, what is that? And they said he has a demon because he's just too ascetic. He's like too purist. And then the son of man, Jesus' name for himself, he comes and he's eating freely and he's drinking wine and hanging out with, you know, the sinful people. And they say, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so unlike the implied blessing that Jesus is giving to that question of who is Jesus when he answers John, Jesus more likely pronounces basically some pretty hard words on the people who are taking offense. They're not just perplexed, but they actually take offense because Jesus does not fit with their theological positions. And he warns them. And he begins to denounce, in fact, the towns in which he had done most of his miracles because people had not turned from their sins to God. Jesus says, woe to you, woe. It's like judgment is coming on you. This is terrible. And he begins to name the various towns where he's been, where he's been teaching and doing miracles. And he says, if the miracles that had been done in you had been done in any of those horrible sin cities like Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah, all those horrible pagan sin cities, they would have repented in, in sackcloth and ashes. I tell you that on the day of judgment, it will be more bearable for those notorious pagan sin cities than it will be for you. His, I want you to hear his tone, his warning. It's like danger, danger. It'll be terrible for you. I do hear anger, but not my kind of anger. It's like, stop already. It's a stern warning of the consequence of a grasping more firmly to the idol of religious purity than to God himself. So what does that say to us today? We who overhear as would-be disciples, as would-be apprentices of Jesus in the 20th first century. If you're here today, you're uh, part of the religious crowd that Jesus was talking to, and that's not the norm. So you're pretty special people, and I think that we're all would-be disciples, would-be apprentices of Jesus. By and large, we've answered the question about who are you, Jesus, by recognizing him as our savior, the one whose death on the cross is the thing that ushered us into the kingdom and let us call him father. 
But you know, it's interesting that Matthew was very realistic about their apprentices needing to ask over and over and over again, who are you, Jesus? Can I handle you today? Are you taking me in a place that's uncomfortable? As the stakes become higher, that question becomes more important. And so I'm asking today, are you an honest questioner? Are you, we're all in this spectrum, I wanna say. I'm using this binary thing, which is a false dichotomy, but I still think that we can ask ourselves, what kind of a questioner are you today? Are you a questioner who's coming to Jesus with desperation because your well-being is at stake? You need to know. You need to hear the word from him. You need to hear the love language that he speaks to you telling you who he is? Or are you coming more and, ans and asking more inquisitively or acquisitively to just inform your brain about, you know, who are you and do you fit into my system of theology? Is it your theology that's at stake when you ask Jesus that? Be careful if that's all you're here for is to answer a theological question. That's what Jesus is saying. I want to invite you, I'm just gonna give you a, a minute. I want you to invite two things. If you're, as a questioner, inquisitively, acquisitively, who's asking predominantly a theological question, can you transfer that into a desperate question, a desperate need to know question? And if you're here today just because you're desperate, you just need to know, you need to hear him talking to you. What's the question that you need to ask Jesus? I would invite you to ask Jesus. And I also want to speak to us as a community at Emmaus. I'm really delighted to see that we've got so many people visiting us today. And as Peter said, we're in this kind of strange place. We don't have a pastor right now. And sometimes we feel like we're being tried in our journey as Jesus followers, as a community of Jesus followers. And the truth is we felt the prick of the doctrinal sword in our midst. We felt the, the prick or the sword of division around, you know, what, what's, our, what's our doctrine on same-sex unions. We felt the prick of religious preferences, people who leave because they didn't like the way we do this or they don't like the way that. We felt that prick. But it's also a precious time for our community. It's been a moment where we've had, to, we've had no choice but to discern one another, to look at one another, to see their gifts, to hear Louise join the music group, to hear a sermon from Kathy, to hear Colin's preaching, to hear fresh expressions of faith from Melanie. We've been hearing one another. We've been listening to one another in a new way. And I think that it's really a time for us also as Emmaus to affirm our identity as Jesus would-be apprentices. That this is what we are hungry for, not just as individuals, but as a community. To hold fast to Jesus as the living word. And I also wanna encourage us to be true Emmaus people. 
When Jesus uh, met some disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is where we got our name from, he opened to them the scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms, to show that they all pointed to him. And I would like us to be that kind of a community that is just in love with the way the scriptures reveal Jesus to us. And not just the Old Testament, but also the New Testament narratives, that it would be a place where we have great joy and not a place of division. And so that would be my prayer for us today, is that we will really make this choice as a community to say, who are you, Jesus, and who do you want us to be, not just me? And so today I want to now pivot with that background. I want to pivot to our reading today. So how if that could just go up. And now, instead of just overhearing what he's saying to the crowds, we get the privilege of overhearing Jesus as he prays. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've concealed these things, this revelation from the sophisticated and educated, and have revealed them to the little people, to the little ones, to the children. Yes, Father, I thank you that it pleased you to do this. So we hear this tone of, of warning, and then we hear this beautiful intimacy of Jesus addressing his Father. This is one of those Sundays after Trinity, are we seven, eight, something like that. So we can't ignore the fact that this is the Trinity. And Cynthia, do you know what this means, everybody? Yeah, Cynthia's sermon on the Trinity, you know, it just is all this interweaving circles. We hear that. We hear this beautiful, beautiful intimacy. We hear the honor that Jesus calls his Father, Lord of heaven and earth, respect. And then he knows that he is pleased. It is so beautiful. And then he also goes on to talk about the little ones. He says, you have healed, you've concealed you know, what you're doing in the world from the sophisticated and the educated, and you've revealed it to these little ones to the honest questioners, to the ones who are asking in desperation, whose well-being is at stake, who don't fully understand but trust. And I hear the echoes of the Beatitudes here. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the mourning, blessed are the hungry for justice, blessed are the naive and pure in heart, blessed are the merciful. They're such idiots sometimes, merciful people, right? But they're blessed in the kingdom of God. Blessed are you even when you're persecuted. We hear that these are the little people. As Kathy said last week, the little people are the disciples. The little people is us. I think it's such a privilege to be in a church where we see families and kids. I think that all Family Sunday should be our like huge celebration Sunday when we get to have the children in our midst. It's so wonderful to see them go. And Jesus tells us that we have to be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to be Little kids, they, they, they lie and do all that kind of stuff, but they, they haven't quite gotten sophisticated and educated enough to, to sort of like be who they're not, right? Other than pretending. They're just who they are, and that's who we're called to be. And then we move on to the big reveal, I think. And Jesus this time speaks to his apprentices, and he says, everything, everything has been handed over to me. I don't know what it says in this version. Has been handed over to me by my father, that means everything. That is, we read about him in Psalm 146 today. It is God who gives sight to the blind. It is God who raises up the poor. He is saying, that's who I am. 
He reveals it again in love language. He's not hitting anybody over the head with it. It is revealed. And he is the son, is the only one who knows the father. And the father is the only one who knows the son. It is the other way around. The son is the one who knows the father, and he chooses to reveal him. And again, we have to hear the echo of the Lord's Prayer, where he actually got his disciples to say, Our Father in heaven. It's outrageous that we get to call him Father. And every week, we get to say that together, Our Father in heaven. And we affirm that he's ours and our Father. Jesus has invited us into the intimacy of that relationship. What a privilege. And then finally, no longer overhearing, but this time really listening hearing the direct invitation to us, I want you to listen to his invitation. Jesus says, come. He says, come to me. Not the Jesus of your imagination, not the Jesus of your expectations, but Jesus the Messiah who's different than what you expected. Come to me, the one who is on intimate terms with the Father. Come to me, the Lord of heaven and earth. Come to me, the one who has been given the authority to judge and to bless. Come to me, the one who is worth following, no matter what the cost. And who is to come? All you who are weary and heavy laden, the little people. Again, I think of the Beatitudes, but I also think about the particular um, 21st century weariness that we can bring. I think about the weariness of the time poor who don't feel like they have time. The weariness of the rushed, the pressured. The weariness of the confused. The weariness of the anxious and depressed. Those who struggle with mental health problems. The weariness of the constant overwhelm of information all the time. Information that tells us bad news, information that invites us to compare ourselves to others, information that tells us that everybody else is having a great time and we're the only ones who feel this way. Come to me, you weary ones. And the heavy laden, I think all the commentators seem to agree that this refers specifically to those who are burdened by religious observance. Eugene Peterson says, come to me all of you who are burned out on religion. Come to me all of you who are tired of doctrinal disputes that lead to division, that lead to people departing. I heard a horrifying statistic a couple of weeks ago that there's 30, more than 38,000 Protestant denominations, each one with a particular brand and flavor of doctrine. Like, really? I'm weary of that. I'm burdened by that. Then he says, learn of me. The message says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Be my apprentice. Join my community of apprentices. The yoke of Jesus is the way of Jesus. It's personal as well as communal. And I think that's a subject of another sermon that I will give, the one I really wanted to give. But today, I just want to emphasize the fact that we come to him and we learn and we listen to him. 
And then his promise to us is that he will give us rest for our souls. That specific, the rest for your souls, comes from Jeremiah 6.16, where Yahweh's invitation always to his people is, stand at the crossroads and ask about the ancient paths, which is the good way. Take the good way and you will find rest for your souls. Yahweh has always been calling people to his way. So our invitation as apprentices is to stop and consider and then take the way of Jesus. Whenever one does a sermon, one always preaches to oneself. So I have to say I started this sermon with a little bit of a grumpiness. I was feeling angry about the 38,000 Protestant denominations, feeling angry about any division that we felt because of somebody wanting this flavor and that flavor. I was angry at first, and then I just became brokenhearted. <laughs> How could we let doctrinal minutiae break the communion that we have? And then Cynthia said, well, where is your rest? And my rest is that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, and he works all things according to the counsel of his will, to his good purpose. In fullness of time, it will all be made clean. So in the meantime, let's just hang in there together. Let's put up with each other. Let's just love each other. Let's just say, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's all I care about. Let's just love one another. Let's take our Sabbath rest in him. I'm just going to sum up what we heard. We overhear Jesus' followers who need to affirm who Jesus is. And we hear that we are blessed when we ask from our position of desperation, who are you? Are you the one that we are to expect? We also hear Jesus' warnings that the defense of religion, even Christianity, can sometimes make us resist an encounter with the Messiah, Jesus. And we hear over here in Jesus' response that we as individuals can expect to encounter Jesus, the living word, in scripture as we share together, as we have this continuity with the saints of the past and the saints of the future. Then we overhear the intimacy of Jesus, of the intimacy of Jesus and his father, and that all authority has over, been handed to him. But finally, to finish, I want you to listen, really listen to Jesus' invitation to you, to us. This is a direct invitation. He says, come. Come to me. Come to me, all you little people. All you little people who are weary, who are burned out on religion. Learn from me. Walk with me, work with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace because I am gentle and humble in heart and I will give you rest. Take this yoke. It's a work instrument, but you will find rest for your souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.